All right. Um, so in your books, we're in chapter 3, or uh, page 31. And, of course, um, I was supposed to do like four, three, four chapters at one time last week, and I knew better. And so we're just going to take it one at a time. We're not in a hurry. And so we're going we're gonna to go through this, which is God the Father. So um, last week was kind of an introduction to... Um, Trying to think of a better way to say it. Okay, so the Godhead, the Trinity. This, this, the last week was an introduction of all of God. Um, and so now we're going to start taking the Trinity um, person by person. And so we're looking at God the Father. Um, and again, last week we talked about the fact that the, the Trinity is something that can't really totally be explained. Um, so when I say first person of the Trinity, second person of the Trinity, that doesn't mean that there's three gods. There's one God, um, but he does reveal himself in three persons, the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so this week we'll be looking specifically at the first person of the Trinity, God, the Father, and what it is that he does and what he is to us. Um, so as we get into that, um, I'm going to read you, now this would technically be Article 2a, uh, which is God the Father. It's on page 31. It says, God as Father reigns with providential care over His universe, His creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of His grace. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude toward all men. Okay, so when we think about God the Father, um, it's, it's important for us to recognize that God is Father but he is also God. So we look at this, it says, God as Father reigns with providential care. Um, so God the Father, um, he relates to us as a father. Now, everybody has a different experience with their earthly father. Some people have wonderful fathers that are loving, um, that provide for them, that protect them that teach them things, that, that make sure they're ready to be sent on their way out into this world. And some people don't have that experience. Some people have fathers that are mean. Uh, some people have fathers that are selfish. Some people have fathers that don't prepare them for the world. Some people even have fathers that don't provide for them. And some people would even say they have no father at all. And so our worldly experience of a father is, is, is pretty diverse. But the, we have a universal experience with God the Father. He is our Father in every single way that matters. He demonstrates what fatherhood is really supposed to look like. Um, Jesus taught us to pray to God as the Father. Now, there was a way in which the Israelites knew that they were the children of God. 
but they definitely looked at God as more of a supreme ruler than they did a parental figure, a father that was, that was, was near to them, that was close to them, that was loving and compassionate with them. And so when Jesus begins to refer to God as his father and then teaches his disciples to pray, our father who art in heaven, it was a, at least a, a, a unusual way to refer to God. Not that it was um, blasphemy, even by their uh, ideas, not that it was just a, a totally foreign idea, but it wasn't the main idea. But Jesus made it the main idea. Jesus made it clear that God is our Father and he's our ruler, not that he's our ruler and our father. He made it clear that God is our father and that we are supposed to look to him um, really as foundational to who we are. He is, he is the one that sets our character. He is the one that sets our direction. He is the one that, that we imitate, that we you know, walk after. Um, if, if you watch a, a good functioning family, a lot of times the, the children look up to the Father, and they want to do what the Father does. There's, there's pictures of when I was a kid where I, I got in my dad's work boots and was trying to walk around, you know, and, and I'm sure that picture has been duplicated in families all over, all over America where the kid tries to dress up in dad's clothes and go somewhere or, or take some of dad's things and use them for their own. That's, that's part of the, the child looking to the Father and imitating the Father because the Father is a foundational figure to them. God is that for us, and we need to recognize that. So when it says providential care, providence is God's care and guidance of his creation against all opposition. So um, in, in your books on page 32, it says providence means that God provides for his own, giving us everything um, we need. Now, that's not all it is, but we'll kind of take it in those little ideas. So providence is, is, is God truly organizing the world according to his plan. Part of that organization is that he's going to make sure we have what we need. And so we know that God has a plan for our lives, that he has things that he wants us to do, that he has planned for us to do. And, and what we also can know because of God's providence, we can know that God will ensure that, that we have what we need, that we have the resources that we need, that we have the, the strength that we need, whatever it is we need, God will make sure that we do have it. And so that's a very, very important thing to recognize that, that God makes sure of that. Um, it means that God is intimately involved in his creation and with his creatures. Um, God is involved on a very close level. There are people that think that God is far away. There have been people that thought that God didn't interact with this world. He made it and he kind of set it into motion, but he doesn't interact on a daily basis. There are people even now that deny that he even exists. But we know that God is close to us, that he is with us, and he is, he is there at a very close level. He's not far away. He's not you know, so far that he can't reach. He is close he cares, he is concerned. What father doesn't care when his child goes through hard times? Not a good father. Our God is a good father. He cares about us. When we go through difficulty, you know, and fathers let children go through difficulty. You cannot teach a child to ride a bike without letting them 
take that risk of a crash, right? They, at some point, they have to be able to, to try, and maybe they fail, maybe they don't. Well, God allows us to live this life, and there are times in which we are going to experience hardship. God cares. He doesn't want that for us, and He watches out for us, but there are times where we will go through suffering, and God is there. God is there to provide what we need to get through that. That is part of what His providence is all about. When we think about God's providence, we have to think about the fact that, that He is directing the flow of history according to His will and according to His plan. So, when something happens and, and we don't think we would ever see it, you know, we just mentioned um, the Roe versus Wade case. And before the leak a few weeks ago, I just never would have thought. Even with the way that it was, I just never would have thought that it would have reversed. But you know, God knew. God knew the day, the hour, the moment that it would be reversed. God knew. Now, in that time, or the time leading up to that, God was preparing us, His children, on how to respond rightly to that. And so that's an important thing that we have to recognize. Um, so the, the Bible uses the example, or your book uses the example of Joseph. You know, Joseph was born um, one of 12. Uh, he, he, was, he was part of the, 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 the family of God at that particular time. Um, and, and probably his father saw him as one that would be a, a leader among his tribe. But his brothers saw him as a problem. His brothers saw him as somebody that, that was kind of an upstart that was going to, to, to take something that they thought that belonged to them. And so they intended for him to go away and never show up again. And so they sold him into slavery. He made his way down to Egypt and it got worse from there. He first was a slave and then he was a prisoner. But then through what could only be described as God's providence, he was elevated to the, you know, the, one of the highest positions in all of Egypt. And so that's the difference between what man might plan for us and what God has in store. Now, when you look at Joseph, I know there are people that have looked at Joseph and said, well, I'd, I'd like to be like Joseph. I'd like to be you know, used by God in a mighty way and elevated. But Joseph went through a tremendous amount of suffering. And most of it, he went... Um, without a whole lot of human companions to even endure that suffering with. So he was a slave, um, and, and slaves are, by their very definition, they are alone. Even though they are around their masters and they are around other slaves, there is no help for them. There is no one else that's on their side. And that situation got bad, and so then he was a prisoner, and he was again alone. Even though he might have helped people, even though he might have been a friend to people, he was alone, and he suffered alone. And there's even, you know, a passage where he's, he's kind of asking God, like, is this, is this your plan, that I be a prisoner in this, this foreign land? Is, is this your plan? But it wasn't God's plan. But Joseph had to go through a lot of suffering and, and, and without a whole lot of friends until he got to that point where God used him in a mighty way. And he had to be faithful all that time. What we have to realize is that God's plan may not involve the easiest path for us. It may not always involve the smoothest trail that we could possibly take. But his plan is the best plan. You know, you think about Joseph. What if he had lost his faith? What if he had become unfaithful to God? Well, he would have either been stuck as a slave or stuck as a prisoner, most likely. But he was faithful to God. 
God was faithful to him, and, and God's plan was fulfilled, and, and we have to recognize that. Um, so uh, what I'd like to do is read to you Matthew chapter 6, um, uh, verse 25 through 34. And, and what we're looking at is the fact that God, uh, in his providence, uh, he, he cares for us, and he provides for us, and what that should actually do for us. Um, so this is a famous passage. I mean, it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's something that, that, that we should really remember um, because it's direct promises that Jesus made. Uh, he, he's teaching. He's trying to explain, or not trying, he did it. God doesn't try to do things, but he, he is explaining to his followers and the crowd at large, because this is a very large crowd that he's talking to, he's explaining to them that there's no need for them to be anxious or to worry. And instead, they should spend their energy trusting God. So he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They never sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So... Jesus, much better than, than me or any other teacher could say, um, is teaching us that even the most basic needs, those things that we think we have to work for day in and day out to be sure that we have, God will add those to us. That our attention instead should be on God, not on the things of this world. He said the Gentiles go after these with all of their heart. Now, I believe all of the Sermon on the Mount is very relevant to today, but when we read that passage, the Gentiles seek after these things, is that not like so relevant? You know, people are always caught up in this, and, and I think there's, there's different groups, especially like in our country now, there are those that are so caught up into it that they work and they work and they work, and we have words like workaholic for people, you know, that, that work too much. Um, but then there, there's other kinds of people that seek this stuff, uh, but they seek it a different way than, than work. They, they seek it through government. They seek it through, you know, handouts. They seek it through whatever. But they're constantly working for, you know, what they can get, what they can accumulate, what they can acquire. And, God's, and Jesus said, God knows you need these things. Seek him. He'll add these things to you. Um, so there's a little um, exercise uh, at the bottom of 33 there. Um, where it, it asks us to kind of complete the following. Jesus instructs us not to um, be anxious or worry uh, would be another word for that. Uh, verse 25 gives us a lesson from the greater to the lesser. Life is more than what? 
food, right? Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing, right? Um, because God has given us our lives and our bodies, he will surely give us what we need, our needs. I mean, that's very important for us to recognize is that God didn't make you. Send his son Jesus to die for you, save you, establish you as a believer in a church just to let you starve or just to let you, you know, become homeless and, and, and be without and be exposed. God didn't save you for those reasons. He saved you for his work, for his purposes, and so he is going to provide. Um, then Jesus gives us a lesson from the lesser to the greater. God feeds the what? He feeds the birds, right? He clothes the lilies or the grass, yes. So because God provides for the birds and wildflowers, he will surely provide for his own children, right? He will provide for us. And that's an important thing that we have to recognize, that through God's plan, he will always make provision for us. He will always protect us. He will always provide for us. Um, God's providence is seen in the moral structure of the universe. God has made this world in a way that is true. He has made this world in a way that is consistent. So think about this for just a minute. All those that would deny God, all those that would deny there's absolute right and absolute wrong, if you play them in a board game and you cheat, they all know you've cheated, Right? That, that, I mean, that's true for all of us, and, and that'll, that'll get you going quicker than anything else in the world. Um, it, in our house, we can't really play Monopoly, uh, and the reason is, is because once all the property's been bought, you got to make a deal, right? And I just want to make a deal, and nobody wants to make a deal with me, and so we play and play and play and play, and nobody wants to make a deal, and finally somebody makes a deal, and Amanda says, well, you just lost the game, and it, sometimes it's true, and sometimes it's not, but the reality is we feel what's right deep down in our souls and we can point out what's wrong very very quickly that's not just an american thing that's not just a christian thing that's a human thing now we may in some weird conversation may say well in that country they do this and that's okay and you know what the thing is is is, is some people are so brainwashed now that you could go to certain places and talk to people and say hey um, is it wrong in this country to take somebody and, and beat them in the head with a baseball bat? And they say, yes, that's assault. You go to jail for those kinds of things. And you could then ask them, well, what if you went to, you know, a, a country somewhere down, you know, um, around the Amazon in South America? And what if in their culture that was the expected thing, that, that once a year you took somebody and you beat them over the head with a baseball bat and everybody thought that was what you were supposed to do? Would it be wrong even though it's what they feel like they're supposed to do in their culture? People are so confused now that they would say it's okay for them because it's part of their culture. Well, think about the things that are part of our culture. Think about the things that are part of American culture. You know, you, 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 we could point out the easy ones, the ones that are really noisy right now, but hasn't greed done a lot of harm for America? Part of our culture. I mean, it is built in. That's the American dream, isn't that kind of a, a greedy thing in and of itself? So we have a lot of sins built into our culture, but that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it okay. And, and when, we, when we actually look at these problems, even the lost among us recognize it's a problem. They have different solutions than we do. Uh, but but when, you, when you look at a lot of groups, a lot of groups that are complaining in this country right now, they're complaining because there's some really, really rich people. And that's one of the things that they're upset about. 
they feel like that's, that's wrong, and, and maybe it is because of the greed and things like that. We just have different answers about how to deal with that, but the reality is everybody knows right and wrong. God established this universe with certain rules. He put rules within us, and he put certain rules within this world. Um, Isaac Newton gets credit for this, but I'm sure a lot of people figured it out, even though they didn't say it. Um, gravity always works. Gravity works all the time. Every time that you don't want it to work, it works. So if you set something on the counter and you didn't do it right, it's probably going to fall. And if it's glass, it's probably going to break, right? Um, if, if you're, you know, trying to walk in the dark and you trip over something, you're probably going to fall. The reality is we understand gravity. We can trust it, but we also know that it's, it's, it's so consistent, it'll get all of us eventually. God has built this universe with certain rules for us and for the universe, and those things are things we can always depend on. God is faithful to us by doing that. So now we're going to go through some attributes of God. We won't spend a ton of time on these attributes, but we'll just look at them and talk about them uh, at least to some extent. Um, so God is all-powerful. There is nothing our God cannot do. Um, I know there are people that have kind of made famous sermons, things that God can't do, God can't tell a lie, and things like that. But in, in terms of, of what we need, in terms of what His plan is, there is nothing God cannot do. Um, God can do whatever He wants to do. Can God get, away, get rid of evil with, with just a thought? Absolutely He could. It is His mercy it is his patience, it is his love that keeps him from doing that right now. God could get rid of evil, God could get rid of suffering, God could get rid of hunger, God could get rid of any of the things that are out there, but that would mean finishing his plan right now. That's what that would mean. And so God is patient, so he doesn't do those things. That doesn't mean that he can't. And so when, when we pray for somebody that's mortally, mortally ill, somebody that's about to die, we can still pray and ask God to heal them because God can heal them. We know that God has a plan, that God has a purpose for everything, and, and that, that it may not be that, that person's going to be healed, but he can. And that's the important thing that we have to recognize. Um, God can protect us from things that it doesn't even make sense that, that we're protected from those things, but God can do that. Since we've had a little bit of conversation about the Old Testament, specifically about Egypt, let's think about the ten plagues for just a moment. The ten plagues were something that happened in Egypt. Um, it was what God did to convince the Pharaoh, but also to, to display his power, to display his majesty and his superiority to the Egyptian, uh, over the Egyptian gods. So when God was doing those things, um, you could almost say, well, these were natural phenomena that just all happened to happen in a, in a short period of time. You might could get away with saying that if there wasn't Goshen. Goshen was where the people, the Hebrews actually lived. God's people actually lived. And so when the whole world, went, or at least all of Egypt, went dark, it was daylight in Goshen. When all the water turned into blood, it was still water in Goshen. When there were frogs bouncing around all over the place, they weren't bothering them in Goshen. Locusts weren't bothering them in Goshen. God supernaturally protected his people from something that affected everybody else. And so I'm not saying that he will do that every time, but I'm telling you he can. He can in a way that we will never be able to explain. God can protect. God is all-powerful. He can do that um, without 
without any sort of struggle, without any sort of trouble. Uh, the verse they give us, Revelation 19.6, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. He is all-powerful and He is in control. God is also all-knowing. There is nothing that God doesn't know, whether that be things in the past, God doesn't forget. Whether things in the present, God is not surprised. Things in the future, it's actually God's plan. It's His plan. It's His purpose. It is His world that He is working on. So we recognize that God knows all things. He knows what we need. He knows our fears and our concerns. He knows the true nature of our heart even better than we do. That's something that's kind of consistently taught in the Bible is that God knows your heart better than you do. Because think about how sometimes we don't know how we really feel about an issue. We don't really know what's best. We don't really know what decision we should make. We don't really know what we should have for supper. Well, God knows these things. And so if you've ever gotten in the car with somebody else and they've said, hey, let's stop and get something to eat. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? The only person in that car that knows is God because it may be that neither person really knows. And that's a simple thing, but we have to recognize that that is true about everything. God knows the matters of your heart. God knows the needs that you have. God knows what you're going to need 10 years down the road. Have you ever found yourself prepared for something that you didn't know was coming? God can do that for us. God has done that and will continue to do that because God knows. He knows all things. There are no secrets for God. So this is encouraging. But in another way, it's also terrifying. So the worst thing you've ever done, God knows. The attitude that you have when you do something bad, now God knows. The reality that there are times where we don't fight the fight the way we should, God knows that. God knows everything. He knows every thought. He knows every attitude. He knows every intention. He knows what strain our conscience is putting on us, and he knows sometimes when our conscience doesn't put a strain on us. And so God is aware of absolutely everything. He is aware. Now, that doesn't mean that humans don't have free will. It doesn't mean that we don't have personal responsibility for what we do. It just means that God knows what's going to happen. God's not going to be surprised if you fall. God's not going to be surprised if you succeed. God is going to be just like a father in the fact that when we fall, he's immediately going to go about the business of raising us back up. When we succeed, he is going to encourage us. He is going to push us forward and help us to grow even more. God is all-knowing. He's also all-loving. And this is something that kind of captured my imagination because when we think about the problems in this world, um, you know, some, some things are just nasty. They are just nasty and unlovable. When you look at the way that people are responding to Roe versus Wade, when you look at the, the, the hate that's being spewed against, well, Supreme Court justices, churches, Christians, when you look at some of the things that people have been saying and, and, and doing in our country, you think, man, that is not lovely. That is not lovable. But God loves. God's love it, it, there, there's no holes in it. There's no gaps in it. There, there's no person that God does not love. And that's, that needs to be eye-opening for us because 
we need to be sure that we are living in that same kind of love. So are there people in this world that are not lovable? Yeah, there's some people that are going to be very, very hard for us to love. There's going to be some people that are, that are trying, but we've got to love them. You know, one of, the, one of the easiest things in the world to do is start saying bad things about people that don't believe like us or don't act like us, or to say bad things about people that we think have caused us problems. Um, you know, the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, whether that leader is somebody you voted for and you like, or whether that leader is somebody you didn't vote for and you don't like. Um, you know, there was this little thing with Nancy Pelosi this week where she was elbowing some kid out of the way. Nancy Pelosi is a lady that's a little hard for me to love, but we've got to love. We've got to love everybody. We've got to love the people that we don't want to love. And those are probably the ones we really need to work on. You know, you come to church, you look around at these folks, it's easy to love these folks because we, we love each other. That's easy. So we're not doing anything really special when we love one another. I mean, Jesus actually used that example and said the Gentiles love people that love them back. But when you love somebody that's hard to love, that's when you're doing what God does. That's when you're really living like God lives. Well, when we find people that's hard to love, that's, that's, that's where it becomes difficult. Now, what is, what is love? Love is not necessarily acceptance. Because God loves me and I make mistakes. But you know what? He still holds me to a holy and righteous standard. And so that's important for us to recognize so one thing this world wants us to do right now is to affirm them, to say, yay, we agree with you and we accept you and, and all these other things that they want us. We don't have to do that. We just have to love them. The greatest love that you could ever show for a lost person is to share the gospel with them. It might come as a cost to you personally, but that's the greatest love we can show. God is all loving. He sent his son to die for all of us. Um, you know, one neat thing about... Um, the word all in the Bible, and sometimes I pick at my kids about that word and, 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 and word studies, but here's the thing that you got to realize about all. When it says all in the Bible, it does mean all, but it means each one considered individually. And so God's not saying a blanket, well, I love y'all, and then that's that. It is if God is coming personally to each one of us and telling us, taking the time to tell us, I love you. And going to each and every one of us individually and expressing his love. That is what the gospel is, is that he has, each one of us individually, he has sent his son Jesus to die for us. Jesus paid the price for our personal sins. Sin isn't just this, this concept or this idea, it's personal. It's, it's stuck on us and Jesus' blood washes it away. And so we have to recognize that his love goes far beyond anything that, that we want to participate in, but we have to. We have to love the way that God loves. We have to love those that God loves. Very simply, John 3, 16, for God so loved who? The world. That means everyone. That means the people that we love and the people that we wish we didn't have to love, but we do. That means everyone. God is all loving. Now, God is also all wise. Um, God's wisdom, wisdom is different than, than knowledge. Knowledge is just knowing something, knowing things, right? Um, 
so you, you might you might compare it to, um, and this is a, this is a thing that that, that happened. I, I don't know if it happens as much as it used to, um, but you know, America was built by blue collar workers that had tremendous amount of experience. Um, but there came a wave. I guess it was somewhere in the '80s. There there came this wave of people that were college educated that stepped into the workforce and were immediately made managers over people that had worked for 20, 30, 40 years, that, that, that knew things, that had working knowledge of things, experience. You might even use the word wisdom. But then you had people straight out of college that had book smarts. They had knowledge. Inevitably, that created power struggles, but a lot of times it also created some chaos that, that, that in some cases, companies couldn't survive. Um, what we have to realize, there's a difference between knowledge, and God does have knowledge, but he also has wisdom, so he knows what to do with that knowledge. Wisdom is always linked in the Bible to morality, because wisdom means not only do you know, but you're going to do. So, so knowledge would be for us, for example, knowing what the Word of God says on a certain subject. Wisdom would be obeying the Word of God on a certain subject. It doesn't seem like that should be two separate things, but it really is. There are a lot of people that know what God's Word says. There are a lot of people that know God's law, but there's not nearly as many people that actually do God's law, that actually obey God's law, that actually <coughs> follow God's Word. There's just fewer people that do. And the reason is, it's a lot easier to know it than it is to walk it to live it, to be it. And so that's, that's kind of where we finish this up, is that God is wise. He is not just this all-knowing, all-powerful God, loves us all, but He doesn't know how to get it to the finish line. He knows how to get us to the finish line. He will get us to the finish line. And if we want to be like God, that's another thing that we have to be willing to do, is take what we do know about God and live it. Live like Him. Follow in His footsteps. Do what He has told us to do. It is so easy, I think, to know things about God. You could go to one of these classes and you could get a whole list of things. So now when you walk out of this, this room, you can list all kinds of things about God. But do we know what to do about it? Do we know what to do about it? We talked about not worrying. Let me tell you, that is one of the hardest things. I, you can be as wise as you want to, and you're still going to worry sometimes. You, you can be as faithful to God. You can know God's Word. You can be committed to following it, but you're still going to worry sometimes. We have to work at trusting God, work at ex exercising that wisdom, work at following Him, work at trusting Him and not worrying. But there's all these other things. So how simple is it to know that we're supposed to love everybody? Two minutes, you've heard the sentence, now you know. How hard is it to love everybody? That's a whole different thing altogether. And so wisdom ties that together. Here's what you know. Here's what you do. What we do demonstrates our wisdom. Let's be wise as we go away from here. Let's be wise as we take what we know about God and, and do the best we can to put it in our lives. God does want us to be imitators of Him. God does want us to follow after Him, to be like Him. And that's important. So that's something that we have to work towards doing. That's about it for this one. Any questions or comments? Criticisms? All right. 
Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to gather together. And as we learn about you, Father, I pray that you can help us. Help us to be like you. Probably all of us have heard enough in this last hour to keep us busy for a very long time trying to be like you. Just knowing that you love everybody and that we have to love everybody, that's, that's a pretty tall order. I pray that you help us to do that. Knowing that, that you are our provider, that there's no reason for us to worry, we still seem to worry. We worry about ourselves, we worry about our kids, we worry about the future. All of that is in your hands. And I pray that we would be wise enough to leave it in your hands. The state of this nation, the situation going on with this fugitive, all these other things, they're in your hands. I pray that we would be wise enough to leave them there. Go with us as we leave this place. We know you will, Lord. Protect us, guide us. I pray that we would be faithful to you and that we would be busy proclaiming the only message that this world really needs to hear right now, and that's the gospel. Make us your messengers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.